Thanks, worship team. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we'll get there in just a second, but I want to tell you about my niece, Amy. She loves astronomy. This kid can tell you when Saturn's going to be in the sky, what day, what time of the night, or whatever. She has an app on her phone that she can hold up, and it tracks you know, what, where the different planets are and what different stars are. And it's so fascinating to me watching her uh, get into it. And she has a telescope and loves, and you can see so much with the telescope. You can see other planets. You, know, you can really see the moon. Uh, she tells me it's not made of cheese because I'm an uncle and I always have to mess with her. Uh, she, she assures me that, that she's seen it and it's not cheese. Uh, but looking, you know, seeing her telescope and, and playing around with it, I've been thinking how much life is like a telescope, especially when you look through the wrong end, like annoying uncles do. I walk up to it and go, oh, is this, is this the right end? And no, it's not. It's not. You have to look through the small end. But have you ever looked through the wrong end of a telescope? Or it's really easy to do with the wrong end of binoculars and it's, everything's distorted and faded. If you can get something to come into focus, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really tiny. It's wrong. It, it turns into a microscope. And I think about myself and how, how many times in my life, big picture-wise, I'm looking at the small picture. I'm looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Everything is about me, myself, and I. It's so easy for us to switch into that mode. And our culture reinforces that. Almost, we have an iPhone, we have an iPad, those types of things. No, uh, I'm not an Apple hater, but there's so much in our life, our, our social media and, and everything is customized. Even, even on your streaming service, they wanna customize an experience just for you. And impulse is nice and it feels good sometimes, but it becomes damaging when your whole perspective is on yourself and you miss so much of God's beautiful creation of, of what this life is supposed to be like. But we're not the first people to ever do this. This isn't something brand new to 2023. Like this is something, especially as we look through the scriptures, one of the main themes throughout what we call the Old Testament is a group of people, God's chosen people who look through the wrong end of the telescope. Way back in Genesis, I'll just sum up, you don't have to turn there. Way back in Genesis, God promises Abram, I'm going to give you descendants, I'm gonna make them more than the stars in the sky, you'll be the father of many, many people, and I'm gonna bless those people so that they can be a blessing to others. But time after time, these children of Abram who became Abraham, he did become the father of many nations. They would look through the wrong end of the telescope and think it's all about them. They would hoard their blessings. They would mistreat others. They would become so focused on their own group and on their own tribe at the expense of other people. And they would go into exile and God would rescue them and things would be good for a little while. And then the, the perspective would flip again and they're thinking it's all about us, me, myself, and I, the nation of Israel. Look at us, we've got the right birth certificate. We were born in the right space. We were born to the right family, and we're following all these rules, so we must be good. Let's kick everything into autopilot. 
and just enjoy these blessings for ourselves instead of remembering the original promise. I'll bless you to make, a, make you a blessing to the whole world, looking through the wrong end of the telescope. And this was true up until Jesus' time. You know, they had been, the nation of Israel in the first century had been under Roman oppression for many years. And though these people were trying their hardest to follow God's laws, they were trying, uh, they were reveling in their identity, especially under oppression, that, that we are God's chosen people. And they were longing for someone to save them. But they were only longing for someone to save them from Rome's. And rightfully so. The Romans did some good things, but... No one wants to have a foreign power telling you what to do in your own location. And they were crying out for a savior, God, deliver us from Rome. And weren't seeing the big picture that Jesus came not just to deliver us, but to deliver us from the condition of sin. Not just, yes, the, the, the sinful acts of behavior that we do, but also the brokenness in this world, the dysfunction in this world. And Jesus was continually trying to get people to look through the right end of the telescope. And Jesus would get into all of these arguments and that's what we're gonna look in, uh, or he would, he would actually engage in what people wanted to be an argument, but as he so often did in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, he tells people a story. This guy walks up to him and says, all right, if you're so smart, Jesus, I wanna know from the scriptures, who is my neighbor? I know we're supposed to love our neighbor is ourself, but let's see if there's a side door here and if we can get around this. Who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells this story, starting in, uh, in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, took pity on him, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So here we have a perfect example of an expert in religious law, trying to trip Jesus up, trying to back him into a corner so Jesus has to make a statement that he, that he has to back away from. But Jesus tells this story. And I love, we, we know that Jesus was fully God and fully human, but also here in this story, we see that he's an artist, crafting together, setting the story up absolutely perfectly. The people who are supposed to be heroes, a priest, Someone's going to intercede for the people uh, on behalf of the people and to God. He misses it. 
fails to show even basic human kindness, basic human hospitality. A Levite, someone who's supposed to serve the people, and, and if anyone gets it, it's supposed to be a Levite. Both of these people, they don't even, they, they move away, walk on the other side of the road. And then we miss some of this in our day and age, but in the first century, Jews and Samaritans, this may be a refresher for some of you, they didn't get along, they didn't mix. And here is Jesus having the audacity to cast the Samaritan as the hero in the story, showing compassion. Oil and wine were like medicine back then, bandaging his wounds, using his own vehicle, a donkey, 5,000, putting, putting this man on his own donkey and taking him to an inn because, well, the early church hadn't invented hospitals yet. That was the best they could do. And then at his own expense, for a stranger, saying, two denarii was a lot of money back then, but even going further, saying, and if you spend this large amount of money, don't worry, I'll reimburse you when I get back. Just take care of this man. So I imagine this religious expert in the law, I don't remember, I don't picture him uh, having a real big smile on his face when Jesus said, which one of these people showed mercy? I imagine more of a down, kind of downcast head, maybe through gritted teeth. He didn't, even, he didn't even mention the word Samaritan. He just said, the third one. The third one. Jesus is trying to flip his telescope, saying, oh, Jesus would cheer on, saying, I'm so glad that you've become an expert in the scriptures. Jesus didn't come to take any of that away. He said, not even a jot or or a tittle will be re removed from it. Not even, not even the dot on a lowercase i in our language. Awesome that you know all this stuff in your head. But what about your heart? Do you really know God? Do you see with God's eyes? Do you want the same things God wants? And in the story, we see that the people who were supposed to know totally missed it. They were seeing through their own eyes. So what happens when we see through God's eyes. If you're taking notes, I'm gonna pull out three things. We could talk about this story for weeks and weeks and weeks and barely scratch the surface. But what happens when we ask God to change our hearts, when, when we spend time with Jesus and he begins to change us from the inside out? One of the things that happens is we see the world differently when we're looking through that right end of the telescope and we see that there's other people, there's other tribes. And if you come around here a lot, if, if, if you tune in weekly, um, thank you. Uh, please like and subscribe, but more importantly, please comment. Let us know how you're doing and interact with this. But you've probably heard me say something like this in the weeks, in the past weeks and months and maybe even years. We need to see God's eye, through God's eyes so we can see other people because the world needs this so badly right now. This is one of the best ways that we can not only experience Jesus, but we can show other people what God is like. It's way too easy these days for us to associate with people that are just like us, that talk like us, think like us, dress like us, eat like us, watch the same shows, get our news from the same places. And None of those one thing, none of any of those one things are bad, but when we become so focused and we forget that there are other people out there,
we miss out on a chance to experience true Christian unity, which unity doesn't mean uniformity. The world needs to see that people who are from different backgrounds, different generations, this is harder than ever, Gen different generations seated at the same table, different, different cultures gathering together. The world will take notice of that and say, you know, on the big scale, what? A Democrat and Republican can actually be friends? Or, or take it down a notch. What, a Dodger fan and a Giants fan can actually be friends? That's unity. We, we have what the world is searching for. The New, New Testament church sorted out so much of this stuff. Just read through the book of Philippians. There's something bigger that can bring us together. But if we do things the way our culture's doing it and pull, pulling ourselves in our own echo chambers, I was, I was walking through my house the other day and I realized even in my own family, we need to be intentional about leaning towards each other and spending time together. As I was somehow managing to walk through the house looking at my phone, watching a YouTube video, I looked up and my three kids are watching three different screens and my, my, my spouse is watching a different screen and that's a wonderful privilege to have access to that technology. But I thought, whoa, I need to be careful about just living life on autopilot. When are we coming together? Because yes, you, it's possible to be in the same room, but also even one family can be split apart. And I could see how, if you're on autopilot, how even, even, uh, even families can become so focused on themselves and miss each other and, and drift away from each other. So we need to see even our own family, even our own households through God's eyes. Another thing that happens when we see through God's eyes is we see the heart. And what I mean by this is Jesus was so good at pointing out the heart. If you look through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's a whole list of blessed are you when, when this happens. And it, it gets uh, confusing. I'm blessed when? That doesn't sound like being blessed. I'm blessed when what happens? But there's also a lot of statements in Jesus' teachings where he says, you've heard it said and then fill in the blank of something scriptural from the law of Moses. And Jesus goes on to say, but I tell you this, you've heard it said, um, uh, you've heard it said, um, do not commit adultery. But Jesus takes it up a notch. He says, but I tell you, even if you look upon a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. And it's so easy for us, especially if you've been following Jesus for a while, I'm gonna poke at you a little bit, just as this pokes me. Are we just going through the motions? When we're connected to Jesus and we start seeing through God's eyes, we're not just following a list of rules, but we see, the, we see God's heart in giving us this best way to live. John 10, 10 says, I've come that they may have life and life more abundantly. Eugene Peterson puts it as, I, I came to give them a more full and better life than they ever dreamed of. But if we're just going through the motions and we say, oh, here's a big list of things that we don't do, okay, I'm good. We can miss the heart and we, we don't go deep into this life and experience the true joy and the true peace and the growth that comes from following Jesus. I wanna see God's heart more than ever. And I'm guessing if something, whatever brought you here, you were curious about what's really real, when we see 
through God's eyes. We can see what's really going on and interpret our world, interpret the circumstances of our lives with much more clarity and less anxiety. And I, I, I admire that so much about people in our congregation, in our church family, who are facing impossible circumstances in their health or, or in their family or in their work life. And there's such a peace that where God's giving them that unreasonable peace that the Apostle Paul talks about. They're saying, I'm trusting God because I know there's something deeper going on. I don't understand it, but I'm, I'm hanging in there. And actually, God's holding on to me while I'm walking through this season. That's what happens when we ask Jesus for new lives. And also, when we see with God's eyes and when we serve others, we see Jesus. When we serve somebody, we literally, we literally see Jesus. If you don't believe me, take the words of Jesus. Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I mean, think about that. If you had a chance to hang out with Jesus in the flesh, would you take it? If you got a, if you got a Google Calendar invite, <laughs> coffee with Jesus at the new Starbucks down the street, and he walked in like, of course you would take it. Well, one of the best ways to experience Jesus is by serving others, even, even the least of these. Jesus counts that like you did it for him. And that, that changes your perspective. That begins to, I had a pastor used to say, that messes with you. That kind of stuff messes with me. And you think, there's this moment before you serve somebody, before you're patient with somebody, before you help somebody out, before you serve somebody by not ripping them apart with your words, you're actually, when Jesus sees that, he's like, they did that for me. And at first you feel like, ooh, it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be a little bit of a sacrifice. But there's some kind of thing that happens in, in the unseen kingdom of God realm where you actually receive more than you ever gave. Not monetarily necessarily, not necessarily a, a shot of energy, but because you're participating in the flow of how God wants all of this to work, you're, you experience what it's like to be with Jesus. God will never leave you hanging. No matter, you try to outserve the Lord, try to, you know, when you take up your cross and follow him, I dare you this week to serve someone else. And that brings us to our challenge. I think the Apostle Paul, if he was sitting with us, I wanna give you a challenge from him, from Philippians chapter two, verse three and four. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. So when you're triggered this week or activated and you're put into fight or flight, or, or maybe it's just a little, a little like gnawing inside of you if you're waiting too long or, or whatever, small stuff and the big stuff, when that happens, ask yourself if you're looking through the right end of the telescope. And ask, yourself, ask, ask God to let you see through his eyes. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we need your help so much. Uh, will you please um, make our hearts really sensitive? 
make our hearts sensitive to the needs of others and to your voice of when we're supposed to serve, of when we're supposed to, to put our own oxygen mask on. God, we're asking right now, as we turn our hearts towards you and turn our minds towards you, give us your perspective on this life and give us a heart that wants the same things that you want as only you can do. Amen. So until we're together, hope to see you again soon. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine down upon you. And may God flip your telescope if it needs to be flipped. And may God give you his peace in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We'll see you soon.